0: Really glad to see everyone here, uh, especially our friend Josh. Glad you could be back with us, and glad that uh, um, jo- Josh is not one who likes to. If I look at the uh, def- dictionary definition of un-narcissist, that would be Josh. Uh, he just is serving every everyone else and doesn't like a lot of attention. But you know, you're loved in this church, and we're happy to give you attention uh, as you've gone through what you've gone through, and we're just celebrating the fact that you're able to join us uh, because we really didn't know where this was headed and God is good so what an awesome uh, day just on that note alone I mean it just makes my whole week to 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 be able to worship with uh, my brother Josh Uh, Rod's thinking all right now pretty soon we can get him back up here in the booth and I can get a break but no pressure um So let's move on to uh, other things. Josh has given me that. Let's move on to other things. Look, so that's what we're doing. Uh, So, hey, how about those politics? Yeah. Isn't that exciting? You know, in a month from now, we'll know who the next president's going to be of the United States of America. And it's a frightening thought because if you're like me, my view of it has been defined by A race to the bottom and it's not really been very exciting to watch it as much as it's been frightening. Now I don't want to offend anybody regarding your politics but uh, I'll assure you and if we have any non-voting young people in here uh, there have been better days uh, and there are leaders who have uh, competency and character Uh, that might be better role models. So just keep that in mind, that what you see is not the best that we've aspired to become uh, in our 250-some years as uh, a country. Yet, as uh, I know I've even mentioned it, I saw a collective groan in the room, like, this thing can't get over soon enough. Last week would have been too soon. And yet... um, Uh, As uh, as we just ponder the state of affairs in our country, a lot of people are asking deeper questions like, where is this headed? And I think underneath that layer is another question that haunts us all, and that is, where is God in all of this? And I can assure you that God is not far away, uh, and that God is in the middle of, uh, of what you see happening. And the series that we're doing on Daniel, entitled Thriving in Babylon... I believe is probably uh, one of the best things that we can look at in times like this as uh, you and I come into this building and we're thinking there's a lot to be afraid of out there. There are a lot of things that are making me anxious about the future of our country, maybe the future well-being of our children and what they'll have to thrive in. But in this room, there is a reality that is uh, presented that, that really overshadows those other things that are in play. And I want to make that reality come alive uh, through this six-part sermon uh, that we're doing. Uh, And this is the first part of the sermon today. It's not going to be complete as far as everything that needs to be said uh, today regarding Daniel, but it's going to be an installment over uh, six weeks of a vision that Daniel, I think, presents to people like us who are facing times like this. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I look out the window and I see nothing but um, hopelessness. And yet, if you look on the screen, you'll see an image of Nebuchadnezzar's gate. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king who was responsible for all the chaos that happened to be turning up in Daniel's world. Daniel is a, is a Jewish A follower of God from about uh, the 8th century prior to Jesus coming into the world. And he had his hopes and his dreams. He lived a pretty good life. Uh, He was in the upper class. He had access to wealth and education and resources that um, uh, we can't even imagine. And one day while he was maybe going to the museum or the library or the art gallery or whatever it was, some soldiers came knocking on the door and said, we're, we're taking you with us. And the upheaval in his world is described in the book of Daniel in a way that shows us what happened whenever his world became basically turned upside down through King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And they're uh, taking into subjection the nation of Israel uh, by dividing the people up and conquering and then taking the best and brightest uh, men who were uh, going to be incorporated into Nebuchadnezzar's um, array of, um, of people to use for his own purposes. And all of the females within uh, the country that he was hauling off into exile that were beautiful and worthy of his harem, they were also being brought to uh, to be prepared for that role for the rest of their lives. And for 70 years, uh, it, it was true. And Daniel writes about those 70 years, and he begins what he has to say uh, about that experience in a way that I think helps us to understand where God is in the times that we live right now. Let me just say out of the gate. I believe that the, the creator that we worship is bigger than that that he has created. And that would be us and everything and all of creation. So for starters, God is bigger than all of it. But the question we have to wrestle with personally is, where is God in my world in these times? And as we take a peek at Daniel, maybe we can go from scarcity and fear to thriving and hopefulness. And we can see somebody who has sound character that can be an example for us in a world of just characters. And so hopefully, as uh, we turn to that uh, first page of the book of Daniel and we look at the first four verses, we can see how he describes the situation. And you can follow along with me if you like. Uh, it's in the Old Testament if you want to look in your Bible and if you brought your own. Here we read... Uh, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, To bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So essentially he's saying, I want the best and brightest. The rest of them, well, they can fend for themselves themselves. But just let it be known that if they step out of line, they're dead. If you watched the series, The Bible, a few years ago that came out, it was installed over a period of about eight weeks, and it went through different Bible stories. And one of the scenes in that, um, in, in, in that docudrama was of a king being hauled away from his, um, his, his, his domain, uh, from his city, in chains with his eyes gouged out. And he was utterly humiliated, and that was the king that was mentioned here, Jehoiakim. And Daniel happens to be one of those young men that's hauled off. Now, for us, uh, it's a 29-century-old story, which, that's a long time. And some of the stuff that we read in, that, um, in those verses may not mean a lot to, to some of you. But the thing that rings true then as it rings true, I believe now, is that when the Lord is behind everything, or it changes everything? When the Lord is behind everything, it changes everything. Well, if you got up this morning and said, Whatever's happening in the world, the Lord is somehow behind it. And if you did, maybe you're confused about how He's allowing this or how He's making this scenario that seems to be a slow moving train wreck happen both in our country and globally, is the Lord causing that? And I would say no, but God is allowing it. And in the midst of God's sovereignty over the events and affairs of humanity are people like you and I who have individual free will to make decisions within our own microcosm of that larger world. And you and I have to make a choice every day. Are we going to be hopeful? Are we going to be despairing? Are we going to have perspective on what's happening or are we going to be confused? And the value of having churches planted in the middle of our circumstances is that they are the one place I believe where the realities that have the imprint of God and God's kingdom can make a a difference in how we approach the life that we live here on earth in this time. Because... We stand for the truth that you see on the screen, that God is behind everything and God is in control. And in our story, if, um, if you look at those verses that we just read, uh, in them are contained the, uh, the words and God allowed this to happen, both the king to be taken off and the spoils that were in the temple to be carted to the temple of the victorious king Nebuchadnezzar. Again, you're thinking, well, what what, what does that mean for us? Now, as a believer, some of us are thinking, why, God, are you allowing evil to prevail the way it is? And one of the questions I have is a question that Daniel had. And maybe it has a lot to do with us as Christians. Maybe God is looking at us and he's saying, this is actually a time where Christians have to really stand up and pay attention to who it is that they worship, and what it is that they believe. And it's a sorting that God has done over time where he's defining what's important and what's not important. And for Israel, it kind of went like this. They were on a, a, a trajectory, to use a, maybe not use the best word, of being with him forever. The problem was, like any group of people that you live with, Sometimes, when you don't get along, it doesn't go well. And he's saying, we all got to kind of have the same mind about where we're headed. And you guys are all just doing whatever you want to do. It's a recipe for chaos. And I've got to help you get clear in your thinking and he allowed something to happen that I can only describe this way. Um, imagine this, this scenario. My wife and I are sitting in a restaurant with our, our three kids. And uh, two boys are... are getting into an argument and the argument escalates into throwing french fries and squirting ketchup at each other and i'm looking at the scene unfold and i look at my wife and i said i've had enough i get up i grab these two boys i take them outside and i just tell them what in the world do you think you're doing You're disrupting everyone in this peaceful establishment who are trying to pay good money to enjoy their meal. And I just take both of them and I swat them in the backside just once, just to make the point. Don't know if that's legal or illegal nowadays, but maybe you can decide based on what happened next. Sitting, Going back inside and sitting down comfortably with my family, I see police officers pull up outside and I see some people next to us pointing at me and saying he's the one and what I'm thinking is I guess those people are upset that I grabbed their two kids and I took them outside and I said you have to learn to behave now I've been involved in shenanigans in my lifetime but that actually is not a true story I just made that up and the reason I made it up is, who in their right mind disciplines other people's children? I mean, you look at those children and you say, well, maybe, other than teachers in here, uh, with the exception of, of teachers, uh, who in that setting would have the gall to go up and, and, and help those kids to come correct? I mean, we've all thought that, right? And maybe we were that kid at one point, right? And maybe we've had those kids at some point, right? And so we're, we're all kind of caught up in that. But as we're looking at that scenario, we're saying it's really the parents' job to take care of their kids. And all God was saying was, it's my job to take responsibility for my kids who are acting up. And I've, I've told them, I've given degrees of, of um, really uh, just... Uh, punishment to try to get them to this place, but they just don't listen. And so I have to do something extreme and extreme. It was, they had become so rebellious that God said there, there's really no other move after this, except to have somebody else come in and just clean house. And the Lord has done that a few times over history, not with the intent of saying, I want to demoralize you because I want to destroy you. But like any parent who sees their kids going off track You do what you can to help them to stay within the the guardrails of life so that they don't get caught up in things that will be very destructive for their well-being, perhaps in that moment and possibly for the foreseeable future. And God said, I I have to do something extreme here. There needs to be a wake-up call. And the people that I love, that I've called to be my family, I have to let them go through this. And here's the bad thing about this, is as Daniel is watching his countrymen go through this, he happens to also be caught up in, in, in the mouse room. And that's the other side of what you and I are facing as well. Because there's another story I want to tell you about my childhood that is true. And this is a story that something happened that some people got in trouble that I was there, but I didn't do it. However, I was unjustly punished as a result of being there. Do you believe that? You're like, I don't believe anything you say after what you just said. But just bear with me. In eighth grade there were uh, we had a very cohesive class and we were outside in the playground in the parking lot where the teachers parked was right off to the side. And as uh, we were looking at the parking lot, some of the people within the group said, hey, there's our teacher's car. It's a really cool 74 AMC Javelin. Uh, just, a, just an awesome looking car. And some of the people in the group said, how about if we go over and push Mr. Penrod's car over to uh, the back of the building where he can't see it? And of course, I'm not pushing I'm not steering. I'm not. I'm not even involved. I'm just sort of alongside as a. Um, I'm recording this for historical purposes. I'm I'm an innocent, objective bystander, and unfortunately, Mr. Penrod happened to be looking out the window about that time, and he came running out, and he just decreed an in mass the entire class detention for a week, and some of us are looking at each other like, hey, we're just watching. We're not saying, yes, do that. We're trying to make sure your car's safe. Well, I don't know what my junior high mind was thinking, but I can assure you, because we were all sort of in a group, he said, I'm not sure how to differentiate who's guilty of what, so you all get it. And God is telling the Israelites, there are some of you who have been faithful, true believers. And I want to assure you that, unfortunately, because we're all socially connected in ways that you can't just extract people, I've got to also allow you to go through this. But I want to give you this this awareness about your life in that mess. And that is, I'm with you. And I'll see you through it. And you just have to fast forward a little bit to a scene from Daniel a little bit later on in chapter 3. Three guys in a fiery furnace. They don't even get a hint of smoke on their skin. They're unscathed. And in that fiery furnace is a third person who looks almost like a god. Probably Jesus. And it's just a future reminder of what we're looking at in this passage of God's faithful presence For those who have been faithful in keeping him close. Daniel, as he's going into this, has this attitude. When the Lord is behind everything, it changes everything. And we see that he did not whine. He didn't complain. He didn't carry on. He didn't say, why me? He just said, God, I know you well enough to know that you're up to something. And you're going to make this work together for good in some way. And you need me to be involved in this process in a way that represents you in the best way possible through this mess. And Daniel and three other um, men that were described in that group of people that were carted off to be uh, involved in, 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 in that upper echelon circle, those four people said, we're going to be close to God through this, and he's going to be close to us. And when this is over, everybody's going to look at us from the king all the way down to the lowest person, and they're going to say, wow, their God is awesome. Their God is great. Their God can do things that our God could never do. And if you read the end of the book, you see that whole strata of humanity in Babylon pointing their fingers at these four and just shaking their heads saying their God is awesome now in what you and I are going through some of us are saying I'm a little nervous about this Lord I'm a little fearful about what's happening it's really coming unraveled the the, the rivets are busting out and others are saying God's in control and you're probably like me, somewhere in between those two extremes of fear and faith. And I want to just assure you, as even I help myself along through this, that God has our backs. We may have a difficult time of it, but he'll see us through it. And this series, this, this, this message that is going to be unfolding in, in all these different parts, is a way of calibrating your vision for the times that we live in. And I hope that as, uh, as, as you can come every Sunday, and if not, we have it on, on our website, uh, that you can track with this set of messages so that your faith and your assurance and your confidence in who God is can continue to just grow to a degree that you're unfazed by what you see on the news every time you turn it on. And if you do turn it on and there's some way that you can play a role in whatever circumstances might relate to your world, that you say, God, how do you want to use me here? Because if you're behind everything, then it'll change everything. Now, just another, another couple of thoughts on this, and then, we're, and then we're basically done here today. And that is, alongside Daniel was another prophet, and his name was Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's like probably you and I. He's surveying the situation. He's finding it very hard to wrap his mind around the fact that these things, these things are happening to God's people. And as he's starting to feel intense doubt and even anger at God, we read these, ver- these words in the first chapter of uh, the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, he said in verse 3, To God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? speaking about his fellow countrymen who had been you know keepers of the law and had had the temple in the in the middle of their community and he's saying look at us and look at them and god are you really in control do you really know what you're doing and god said maybe a little story like i just told you about the restaurant i've got to start with my own kids And I wonder about that because right now, there are a couple of people who look carefully at trends in churches in the United States. And one thing that they're saying is, churches are declining. People are becoming less and less interested in being a part of church. And I wonder, is it because people are becoming less and less interested, or if God's not doing a little bit of sorting things out as to who's really clinging to him, and who is basically saying, yeah, I believe in God, but he's not really that meaningful on, my, on a day-to-day basis. And one of these church um, a- a- analysts, I guess, has looked at a typical congregation like ours and said there are essentially three types of, of people that, that will attend. One is a cultural Christian who says, I believe in God, it's a Christian country, I don't have any doubt about the resurrection or Easter. And a lot of those people are being overwhelmed with waves of things that um, are just carrying them farther and farther away from God. And they may be caught up in fear. They may be caught up in, 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 in a variety of vices, uh, things that capture their imagination in such a way that they dedicate all their time and energy to it. And as they're doing that, that view of God is just sort of slipping away. But as God slips away, they're finding they're more anxious, they're more worried, they're more fearful, they're looking at the news every, every minute wondering, is she going to get it? Is he going to get it? If they get Who gets it? And when they do, what's that mean? And God's saying, those people with those forces are probably not going to be seen in church very much, if at all. And then there's another group that, the, that he describes as people that are the congregational Christian. A congregational Christian is someone who says, go to church because, you know, it's the right thing to do. I go to church sometimes. I'm not there all the time. But it seems like, uh, you know, our family's been doing it for generations and going to church is just what we've always done. And it's the, the habit and the routine and the idea that it's, it's my duty to go. But what these observers are saying is, Things are so rocky out there that that's not enough. That's not sustaining them. And they're also being overrun with these waves of influences that are pulling them farther and farther away from church and from God. And as they're looking at these churches, they're saying, basically, it's kind of a refining process. And those who remain are the ones who get up every day and say, God, I'm trusting you today To be with me through all of this. And maybe even saying each day, Lord, help me to grow a little bit more. Help me through what I'm going through. And they're just leaning constantly on the Lord. Like me, a lot of times you don't really know what's going on. You don't have an answer for what's going on. But you've built up enough of a foundation in your faith. That when those forces start to overtake you. You know where to run to. And you know that God is really the only safe harbor in all of this. And some of us are in church today because that's how we feel very strongly. Some of us get up every morning and we say, Lord, help me to love you with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. And whatever people you put into my world, help me to love them as I love myself. And though I don't do that perfectly, and and maybe you don't feel like you do either, that becomes our mantra And it becomes the way that we can face what's happening, well, like Daniel, because every day he woke up. There's an evil king. He's got me really right here where he wants me, but God is in control. There's an evil king that does very strange, bizarre things, like have dreams and then tell his counselors, I had a dream last night. It was a horrible dream, and I want you to tell me what it meant, only I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. And if you don't tell me the answer, I'm going to kill you. Well, imagine working for that kind of a boss every day. Well, honey, it's time to go to work. Hope you have a good day. Hope my boss doesn't kill me. And that's what Daniel had to face every day. And the boss said, I hate your name. We're going to call you Belshazzar. And Daniel's like, all right, Whatever. Because Bel is another name for Marduk who likes you to bring your family to church with you so that your wives can be abused and your children can be lit up as sacrifices. It would be like somebody saying, your name was Christian, but now it's Satan's demons. Go to work every day, look at your paycheck, fill out to the order of Satan's demon. And Daniel had that name and he's like, this would be really hard, Lord, if I didn't have a rock-solid confidence that you were in the game, that you are behind it all. And you had something in mind in this whole process. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. You're trustworthy, so I trust you. And some of us in this room have sort of settled that in our mind. And we've got peace in circumstances like this because we don't know where it's headed. And it may get much worse. But we go to bed at night and we just fall asleep. Because whatever it is, God is faithful. He'll provide our daily bread. He'll provide a community for us to share our woes with. And he'll give us strength along the way. And there's nothing that we want to do more than make that circle smaller and smaller and smaller and keep evil people out. No, that's not what we want to do, is it, Chris? We want to include as many people as we can in this journey because we think it's a journey that is worth walking. You see the great adventure out there? I don't know if you saw that when you walked in. We have glass doors on both ends. And it almost depicts a never-ending, infinite adventure. And God's saying, I want you guys to be a part of this adventure with me. And like any adventure, it has its highs and lows, but like every adventure where we are promised at the end that we will land where we need to end, we go through whatever those peaks are and those valleys are with a confidence that is not of this world. And we just want to invite you into that adventure as we spend this time together with Daniel. If God's got you at a place right now where you're saying, yeah, I want to act on that, I want to be a part of that adventure, then that's the reason why he gave us his son Jesus who said, I am basically the only way that this adventure works. And what you have to do, it's hard, but when you do it, you find that it's absolutely worth it. And that is, you have to surrender your very being to me. And when you do, I'll come and fill you and replace all of those things in your life that are reaping chaos and havoc with things that are good. And I'm only telling you this because I'm one of those people that he did it to. And there's nothing like it. We invite you to just come alongside with us. And it just basically begins by inviting him into your life. And then we share that life in him together.